Business has always been about turning a profit, making money. But can it stand for something more? Something beyond dollars and cents? We think so. We think that today, business has a higher calling, a purpose to be fair and just, to do right by their workers, customers, communities, and the environment. And it turns out companies successful doing that also do better for their bottom line. When you see the Just Capital seal, it means this company is a force for good. Visit JustCapital.com to learn more. All right, great having you back with us on this Sunday morning as we get ready for uh, Giants baseball. We bring in the professor, Ron Wotus. Well, how are you? Good morning, Marty. I'm doing great. How about yourself? Very, very well. And uh, I was thinking about River Islands there. And, you know, uh, you love the dogs. You and Lori love uh, your dog. Do you guys go to a dog park? We do. Um, we have more uh, play dates than the dog park, but we do go to dog parks as well, especially if, uh, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good animals there. <laughs> Sometimes they're, they're overcrowded. And uh, I believe that uh, I, I think I know where you're going with this because uh, you've got to have a place for your dog to run right. and your dog to play, especially a big dog like ours. Yeah, and River Islands has the dog park. That's what I was yeah. thinking about. Yeah. And, you know, well, the dog park is a community unto itself, isn't it? It is. And, you know, uh, I've met more people since I've had uh, uh, Makana, our, our dog, um, you know, other dog people, and, and re- only because of the dog. You know, it gets to the point where you know the dog's names, you don't know the dog's parents' names. But <laughs> going to a dog park or taking your, your dog out there and paddle boarding at River Islands, uh, is something I see a lot of dogs do when I'm up at Lake Tahoe and different lakes. There's, so there's so many things that the dog brings oh. to the community. And River Islands has a lot of activities for dogs uh, as a dog park as well, but, but other activities as well for people to enjoy. Well, I like that. Very good. Hey, it is uh, the Jewish New Year. It's Rosh Hashanah that starts tonight. So I want to wish everybody, all the listeners, a happy, healthy uh, New Year, and uh, you too. Well, I hope everything is good for you. And 5783, how about that? 5783. That's the year. <laughs> That's the yeah. year on the calendar. Is it really? Wow. Well, it makes me think of my friend Bruce Richmond when I grew up in Connecticut. Uh, he was the, one, of, one of my close uh, Jewish friends and got to learn a little bit about, you know, the, the, the Jewish life and, and the holidays, et cetera, et cetera. So, I hope you enjoy some matzo ball soup and some challah bread today, Marty. <laughs> you know, you're exactly right. Well, you're on at challah and apples and honey, so everyone should have a sweet year, and that's <laughs> that's the deal. All right, very good. Hey, good knowledge. I like that. Um, all right, the professor, it's Sunday morning. Let's get into some baseball right away. And uh, last night watching the game, well, and, uh, of course, I thought of you. Uh, there was a play at first base with uh, Wilma Flores, bases loaded, uh, a ground ball to him. He doesn't tag the bag, throws home. Bart thinks he's tagged the bag, so he's got to tag the runner. And meanwhile, it was uh, nobody was out after it was all said and done. So let's talk about that play a little bit and, and how that goes down and who's got to communicate. Well, you had the bases were loaded and the infield was in. They wanted to cut off the run in the 1-1 game in, in the fourth inning, I believe it was. Right. Um, and a big chopper, a chopper to third. And, you know, Flo, when he caught the ball, you were playing the infield in because they didn't want to run the score. So I think he felt, you know, why try to stutter my steps to touch first base and then throw home the priority when the infield is is in is to get the out-at-home plate. And 
it would have, uh, if he tried to touch first, you know, he stepped right over it. You know, it would have made it very difficult to get the out at home. So um, he, he just stepped over it, threw the ball home. Now, it's a difficult play for Joey Bart. Um, you know, the angle where he's at, he's getting in position to get set up. And you can't tell when Flo kind of straddles the base whether he kicks the bag or he slides its foot across it. So, mm. you know, I think, um, you know, it, it's a very difficult play. And I, I heard on the broadcast, and, you know, J.T. Snow said, you know, he, he would yell, he would yell, tag, 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 if he touched the base. And, you know, when you play a position every day like J.T. has and, and know the ins and outs of every play that happens, uh, I think that's great communication. But in this scenario, um, you know, Bart really has no idea other than watching the play on on what transpired. And if you're Joey Bart, you're not going to stand there and expect it to be a force. If you think he might have hit the bag, mm. you're gonna you're gonna make the tag because uh, it would be worse if you were didn't try to make the tag, <laughs> and uh, you know it was a tag play. And you know the other side of it was, I mean, the guy at first at third got a great jump. So you always have to be aware with speed on third, how close the third baseman is to the third baseline, because that ball was chopped. And, you know, Joey got to tag down quick, but, it, you know, that runner got there awfully fast. So you got to credit the Diamondbacks for getting a good jump at third and getting down the baseline as well. Boy, great analysis. Uh, you know, it's so funny, Woe, to listen to you break this down. You know, you watch a play at the ballpark, and it seems so simple. All right, ground ball to first, didn't tag the bag, and, you know, Bart thought he did. But then when you break it down, you realize there's 100 moving parts that yeah, take place. It's, you're it's right, Marty. <laughs> well, it is, because when you watch that, it, uh, it looks like, how, how can this happen? And I just tried to explain how it does happen. And there's really no, you know, no true fundamental there that you, that you follow. Um, I think what JT said was great. If you do touch the bag when you throw the ball home, you know, scream tag, tag, tag. And, you know, Joey's got to look the best he can. But if he's unsure if he touched the base or not, and I don't know what his explanation is, you know, he's got to go ahead and, and, and make the tag. Good baseball. Good baseball. Well, that play was one thing. And then the other complicated, well, and we've been doing the show together, what, for 12 years already, something like that. The throw from the outfield sailed past the cutoff man, and I'm even sure the cutoff man was there. And move the runners up to second and third, then a base hit after that cost him two runs. Boy, that that throw by the cut to the cutoff man or through the cutoff man is just critical, critical part of the game. It is when you play close ball games, and, and it is you know uh, when you want to execute. And you know, I look at those things. Look, it happens to all of us. You know, we make errors, we miss cutoff men, but if it happens more than once or twice. Um, then it's a fundamental mistake. It's a mental. It's a mental mistake for me. That's something that needs to be corrected, and and the players, uh, you know, need to correct that. And you know, one thing I always looked at as a coach is if something is happening too often, a mistake is is being made. Um, I watch. You know, I expect the player to go out and work on it. I, I really do. Um, if if you don't work on it or or make a physical adjustment in the moment. Um, it's not going to get corrected. So that that hurt the Giants. That extra run moved up. They got the base hit, not recording the out on the um, on the ground ball with the infield in. That's another run. So in reality, I know Cobb's had uh, a very good year. I know the defense at times has hurt, hurt him behind 
I mean, he led to that inning on his own. He gave up some hits. But, you know, I think he was frustrated because when those mistakes happen behind you, it just compound things. And in reality, he should have gave up three runs. And sometimes when you give up some hits, you want the defense to pick you up, <laughs> right? Yep. So it is a team game. Yeah, it is. Boy, what a game last night. And it cost the Giants five runs in the fourth inning, and they lose it 5-2. to two. Uh, the professor is with us. Well, it's interesting listening to you uh, break this down. It's not easy to coach big leaguers, is it? Uh, really, because they get to the big leagues, and, boy, to do a lot of coaching with them, you have to really get to know them. It's not simple. Well, you know, one thing I learned in my first few years in, in the major leagues, it was much easier in the minor leagues, obviously, because you have a little bit more of uh, authority and hammer on uh, over the players and even playing time. But as a coach in the major leagues, you don't control uh, playing time. Um, a lot of these guys are stars. You know, everybody has some sort of ego. Some are way bigger than others. And the number one thing I learned from coaches before me and what I tried to adhere by and learned it in the minor leagues is, is building a relationship of trust. And if you have some mutual respect and, and, and trust with the player, and he knows you have his back to, to the point where you're trying to help him they're going to listen a lot easier. You just don't go up to a veteran guy and try to start coaching him without some sort of relationship. I mean, you can do it, and it happens. Sometimes you have to do it. But I don't think you're going to have that long-standing relationship that's going to, that's going to you know, uh, help you when you do have disagreements if you show the player first that you care about him. And a guy that comes to mind is, uh, you know, talking about mutual respect is Dusty Baker. And I just... I just wanted to mention it. You know, they won 100 games over there in Houston again. And, you know, and mutual respect is, is a two-way street. you got to have respect for the player uh, and, and what he can offer, and you got to have respect for the coach and, and what he's trying to do. And if you have that, you can uh, better withstand some, you know, disagreements along the way. But I look at Dusty and what he's accomplished. Look at this guy. I mean, World Series, Game 7, uh, he gets let go. Uh, then he goes to Chicago, right? Goes to the National League Championship Series. They've never been there. Then he goes to uh, Cincinnati. That team's 20 games better there. Then he goes to Washington, wins 97 games, loses in the first round of the playoffs again because of us, the Giants, and he's let go. And now he's over in Houston, uh, doing, you know, going to the World Series and, and, and winning like there's nothing to it. And I, I think he's a good example. Of, of a guy that really knows how to manage the ego in the player in the major leagues. Mm, boy, good analysis. And, of course, uh, Dusty uh, is a Hall of Famer in my mind. I, I don't think there's any question. I think he is going to be a Hall of Famer. Along with Bruce Bochy, a good, good legacy uh, of Giants managers. Really good. Uh, in the news this morning, Don Mattingly apparently says he's not coming back. Uh, to the Marlins next year. It made me think of the Dodgers and Mattingly and you and Boach and all those games against Mattingly and two trips to the mound and everything else. You guys had some good battles with him. Yeah, we did. You know, the Yankee influence ended up in L.A. with Joe Torre, right? And, oh, and yeah. Donnie was there as the bench coach, and then it handed it over to Mattingly, and, uh, you know, he, he continued it from there. And, uh, you know, those were our rivals, and uh, we were pretty evenly matched back then. Uh, you know, we would we would get after it back and forth. Of course, you had the Bonds dynamic involved. You had the Manny Ramirez dynamic involved. There was a lot of excitement, and there was a lot of interest in those series. And, uh, 
course, the great moment for us was when <laughs> Boach got Don Mattingly uh, in his, you know, he was a, might have been his rookie year. Or he was just a young manager, um, you know, going up to make a talk to the pitcher and then leaving the dirt, leaving the mound, walking back to it, and then deciding to go back to say one more thing. And, of course, that's two trips. You can't do that. So the pitcher has to be removed from the game. And that was, uh, that was an interesting moment, no doubt. Who caught that? Did Boach catch that or you? Who, do you remember who think, caught it? Oh, he he saw it right away. I think we all saw it right away. And Boach was out of the dugout, you know, before he even had a chance to say, ah, you know, look, <laughs> you know, he was gone. He was right by the steps and Boach was all over it. And, uh, you know, you're licking your chops when, when sometimes you have young people out there and you keep your eyes open. You'll, you'll see something that, you know, they can give something away, whether it's a, sometimes a young third base coach or or a manager, um, whether it's giving signs or something during the game. So Boach was all over it. And you know, it makes me think of Mark Halberg, right? How such a great job he's done at third base for the Giants this year, you know. His his name has hardly been in the news, you know, and that's that's a sign of a great third base coach. Boy, that is good. You know, we we've talked about the toughest play for a third base coach and it's the broken play. It's the play where the ball goes down the line, and you got to figure out, can I score the guy from second? You know, a hit to the outfield, you know, the arms, the angles, the, the way they're leaning, and your runner. But a broken play, well, explain that one, because you see that a lot. And I was thinking of Hallberg. He hasn't had many broken plays yet. He hasn't had to deal with it. Yeah, he, he's had a few, but you're right. Um, those are the ones that get you, and we, we've discussed it uh, many times for a couple of years now. And I think he got caught on one this year. And in our conversation, he said it was it was a broken play. And why why the break and broken play is so difficult? You know, this is a game of repetition. You know, and when you when you when you know a guy's arm and and you know his his depth and the ball's hit to the outfield and you see where your runner's at, you you have the uh, you have the timing of the whole play gauged. But when an infielder dives for the ball and it rolls away, maybe you know. You can't really tell. Ten feet is it? Fifteen feet, and you got to make a quick decision. Or guy slides in the third, and they overthrow third, and it it goes by him. Your initial reaction is to go, 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 <laughs> and then it hits the rail and bounces right back to the third baseman. So there's a lot of variables in there that that can get a third base coach. And you know, Mark and I both agree. Um, if you have a slow runner in those broken plays, you got to be a, a little less aggressive. Um, on sending if you have a fast guy you can be a little more aggressive but the bottom line is marty as as you well know is the scoreboard are you winning are you losing the number of outs who's coming up if you don't have all that uh in the back of your head when the play happens you're probably going to make a mistake Mm. well i've said it many times i'm glad we could say it again uh year 12 here the manager's job is tough but that second toughest job is the third base coach uh, I firmly believe that. I really do. Yeah, there's a lot of tough decisions in the game. And, you know, I think it's tough for the simple fact is uh, there's a lot of work going on behind the scenes, whether it's a pitching coach or the bench coach, or, you know, the hitting coaches getting the guy to hit, you know, the pitching guys with their game plan. But if you make a big <laughs> blunder in the, in the game, um, you know, nobody sees those other things as much as in the moment when 40,000 people see you send a runner with nobody <laughs> out and it gets thrown out at home plate. You know, that's when the boo birds show up. So when that happens, how do you what do you do? How do you how do you rationalize that? Well, you know, you have to have thick skin, number one. And, you know, it, it's a good thing they have helmets now coaching third because, 
you know, I've got a guy thrown out at third base with nobody out before, and I like to go down and take my helmet and slam it against the wall as hard <laughs> as I can, and that makes you that makes you feel a little bit better. But you got to keep moving forward. You you can't get tentative, you can't get you know shy coaching out there. You just have to you know do all your prep, like I said, the scoreboard, the outs, who's coming up, and make the best decision that you can make in that moment. And sometimes. You know, when you mess up, we've talked about this before, I'll just say usually it's a concentration thing, uh, whether you're an outfielder or a third-base coach. Maybe we didn't go over all the scenarios that you should have um, and there's a broken play and, and, and you send a guy and you realize, oh, shoot, there was, there was only nobody out. I, I can't get him thrown out there. I should have held him. we got two opportunities to get him in. Mm, boy, great part of baseball with the professor on a Sunday morning. Well, some other news this week. First of all, the pool host news. Well, uh, look, you've seen his whole career uh, when he first came up to the Cardinals. And, you know, he could steal bases and he did a, did a whole bunch of stuff. But uh, for me, Friday night, 699 and 700 in one game for this guy, 21 homers this year, 15 after the, <clears throat> after the break. Uh, give me your thoughts on Pujols, maybe a little perspective on his whole career. The first thing that comes to mind is, is you know he did it in Hollywood in L.A. a team that he played for. I thought that was that was special with the energy in the ballpark there, and he's obviously doing it with St. Louis. You know where he spent uh, you know the majority of his career and really you know cut his teeth and made his mark. But um, 700 home runs, you know, it's uh, what he's there's only what a few players that have hit more than him. He he's been a tremendous player and ambassador for baseball. You know, as great as he's been on the field, you know, you hear the same thing about him off the field. And I've had plenty of opportunities to talk with him. And, and you know, he always makes you feel very comfortable. And he, and he makes you feel like he knows you. And in talking to a lot of Latin coaches and, and players that know him, he's a special person. Uh, he does a lot of good in the game. And he's done a tremendous job on the field. And you mentioned it, though, when he was – younger you know it's kind of like the Barry Bonds things you know he's twice the size now as he was when he first started and he could steal bases and he was even stealing bases up to about five years ago he was such a good base runner and a heads-up guy he would time a pitcher or he just had that instinct he knew a guy wasn't going to pay attention to him and he'd take off with that running lead so um, I'm happy for him Uh, I'm sure it was a great moment for him and his family and, and all the pull hole fans. Yeah, a good part of the game. And uh, it was funny, I don't know if you saw it, but Beltre, was, his friend, was sitting in the stands, and when he crossed home plate, he went right to Beltre to, to sort of uh, shake his hand, and then he went to his teammates. How about that? Yeah, I did see that, and I didn't know who was in the stands. So I, I thought that was awesome as well, um, you know, uh, to, to just to watch that whole good thing. Good stuff. And, yeah. Good stuff. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, good. yeah, that was good stuff. I'll tell you, Craw made a play last night, Will, and I don't know if you had a chance to see it, but a ball was hit at VR very hard, and uh, Carson Kelly, the catch, was running, which helped. Goes off VR, goes up in the air, I don't know, 15 feet, and Craw catches it in his bare hand, and he's already in throwing position and throws Kelly out of first base. And uh, I haven't seen many plays like that. Did you get a chance to see it? I didn't see it, but immediately I've seen Craw make that play several times. And the other guy that comes to mind is Omar Vizquel. 
because Omar Vizquel used to catch the ball barehanded all the time, a, a similar play like that, or a high chopper, not not the ball that ricocheted off somebody. And, of course, I wasn't a big fan of it, but he never missed one. So it's like, hey, you know, use your skills. That's the only chance Graw had to make that play. And if you think back to the old videos of Brandon Crawford in double-A doing all the trick stuff behind the <laughs> back, barehand plays, um, that's why he's able to accomplish it in the game. He's he's had tremendous hand-eye coordination and defensive skills his whole life, and um, he uses them. And that's the only chance he had to make the play. I didn't see it. I'm going to look for it now. But I really like the play that he made in Colorado as well uh, a couple of days ago when he dove full extension in the hole and then was able to give a perfect strong throw I think Estrada was at second base to get the force at second base. You know, that's a more difficult play in my mind, but uh, the other play is certainly a lot more exciting to watch because you don't see it very often. You know, it's too bad there are so many free agent shortstops. The Giants need help. We know that. They need some offensive help, some veteran help, because that's a position he can stay there. He's okay. They they don't need to upgrade short. They got other places they have to do it. So I think he's okay to play again. I, I just think he makes all the plays, and the bat is getting a little bit better here at the end of the season. But he's just a steady influence. And you lose Longoria, perhaps, and maybe Belt. You need Crawford. I think you. I think that's a, a great point, Marty. We have, you know, a lot of areas to improve the club, and and Cross signed you know, through next year. And he's been the greatest shortstop in the giant organization of all time. And his ability to play short is still better than anybody that we have on board. So I think, you know, the the key is putting the money into places where you can build a club. And to your point, Brandon Crawford is still a winning player at shortstop. Um, So I'm I'm sure he's going to get the opportunity to play a lot of shortstop next year, regardless of what happens. Yep, yep. He's he's closing very well. I like it. I, li- I like what I see with him. Uh, a couple of other things. One, we had a, an unfortunate incident, the double play bar and grill, which was right across from Old Seal Stadium at 15th and Bryant, burnt down a couple of nights ago. And it was a, well, it was a meeting place for baseball people for years and years, memorabilia and all that. Did you ever get a chance to go to the double play? No, I did not. You know, I, I wasn't even familiar with it, to be honest with you, Marty. Um, that, that is disheartening. You know, it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, in Scottsdale when Don and Charlie's uh, oh, didn't yeah. burn down. But, you know, Don Carson, the rib king, you know, he, he, he closed up shop. And that was a similar meeting place, which where the organization had all all their uh, ownership dinners, et cetera, et cetera, all the baseball people, anybody that's a baseball person that's gone to Scottsdale or, or to spring training in Arizona found their way to Don and Charlie. So I wish I would have seen it, Marty. I wish I would have seen it. Yeah, I went to luncheons there. I think uh, Matt Kane. I met him for the first time there uh, when they did a program and he was a rookie or just had come up. But uh, all the old-timers used to go there and had all sorts of memorabilia right across from where Seal Stadium was, well, at 15th and Bryant. So at some point, drive by there and take a look. You get a perspective of, of what baseball looked like uh, in San Francisco before Candlestick and, and everything else. Boy, good good point. Uh, one other thing I wanted to mention, Mark DeRosa. Well, did you see this, that he's going to be the manager of Team USA? And I yeah. know you yeah, – what do you think about that one? 
Well, um, TV opens a lot of doors. <laughs> As you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, I mean, Mark DeRosa was, was always a guy when he played, and he played for a lot of different teams that was a great teammate, um, was a, a good player in his day, and, you know, he approached the game the right way. He, you know, he wasn't afraid to speak up. He wasn't as, uh, afraid to get on one of his teammates. And those are the type of guys that uh, a lot of them end up being managers because the way they approach the game. And, and Mark had that as a player, so I'm not sure who's uh, appointing, um, obviously somebody with MLB, I'm, right. I'm not sure, appointing Mark as, as the manager. It's a little unusual um, that he hasn't uh, – been on the field to coach or whatever, but it really isn't because you see it all the time. You see a lot of these old timers come back to, you know, coach the USA team or the Olympic team or this or that. So, um, no, I'm happy for him. And I, I, there's one guy on his staff that I'm real happy for as well. And you know who that is. Who, who is that? Go ahead. The, the bullpen coach. I don't know if you've seen it, but Dave Rigetti. Rags is ah, yes, you're right. Coach. Good, good. Yes. Thank you for refreshing my memory. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you ever do any coaching in that stuff? I know Bo Boach is in what, France doing the French team. Do you ever do anything like this? Well, I was going to do the French team. Actually, I, I got involved with them and, and, and helped Boach get involved uh, with them uh, to lead the team. I was going to go ahead and do it. And Actually, in 2020, in the World Baseball uh, Classic uh, in spring training, I was heading down to Tucson uh, to participate in the World Baseball Classic with Boach on the French club. And uh, then COVID hit, and that was canceled. That that one that day that I was traveling from Scottsdale down to Tucson, of course, and our spring training was canceled. Uh, but, but that was it. You know, I, I, I haven't done anything in the World Baseball Classic, but I've I've traveled to Holland and, and, and also to Ireland, uh, you know, with uh, baseball organizations teaching the game of baseball, um, is, is all I did, but not in the World Baseball Classic. Do you speak French? Wee oui, wee. Oui. No, <laughs> not at all. It's like when I joined the Italian club, and my last name is Wotus in San Francisco. I had to sit up there for 15 minutes and explain to the uh, to the members how Wotus is from Polish, uh, from uh, Italian descent. So I had to bring my mom's birth certificate to prove it to them. That's funny, funny. All right, good stuff on a Sunday morning. Well, well, we got one more week to go here. Uh, so we'll get some good baseball news. Maybe Aaron Judge will do something this week. So have a good day and a happy new year to you. And uh, be health, healthy and good things for you this year, Well, So take care. Well, thank you for the uh, uh, the, the blessing. And you have a happy <laughs> new year, Marty. and uh, Or I should say rabbi. And we'll talk to you next week. Look forward to it. All right. All right, that is the Professor Ron Wotus here on a Sunday morning. Bill and I will kick it around when we come back right after this. Stacking Benjamins with Joe and his good friend OG not only has great financial insight, it's laid back with humor too. The quiet luxury trend is out and loud budgeting is in. Are we tired of the pet names? Yeah, because I'm loud and obnoxious, so this fits right in with me. I'm like, yes, finally budgeting for me. <laughs> I get to walk into a restaurant and go, I'm cheap as hell, and you're not getting a tip. Live from Doug's Budget. <laughs> Find out more by searching the Stacking Benjamins podcast wherever you listen.